And I never had a creative outlet in my life before because I'm not a musician. Uh, I'm not really a writer. Um, I love music. I love art. I love, you know, television and movies like everybody does, but I've never had a creative outlet for myself. And when I discovered podcasting and I discovered, you know, that, that idea and that mindset of commitment and success and doing whatever it takes to succeed, I, I really found myself and it was a bit of a rebirth. I was 40 when it happened. Welcome to the Picture of Wealth, or TPOW as we call it. I am your host, Dustin Service. That is the voice of Robert Bruss coming to us from Australia. Now, Robert is, uh, I call him an influencer, a mind uh, leader, and uh, he has a company called Go All In, which is a consulting business and teaching business owners how to do multiple things. Again, strategy, growth, how to build a podcast. He's done a number of things. But what we got into was a, was his paramilitary training. Robert was in the military for uh, almost 12 years, and we broke down some of the leadership skills that he learned along the way and how he helps take those leadership skills from the military and some of the specifics like jumping out of an airplane and parachuting into some sort of training exercise or a mission and what preparation and what people can do to transport that knowledge into their business because it's similar we we you know don't know everything everything isn't set and all of a sudden you know you do your best but you're you're going flying through the air and something doesn't work that's just like business and entrepreneurship so without further ado i give you robert bruss i'm excited to have robert bruss on the show today and have him explain and break down how to get better in life how to get better at hacking all the mindset different things he has got a resume that you guys will want to dig into and i am certainly curious about it Rob Russ, thanks for being on the show today and tell us a little bit more about Go All In. Good day, mate. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. It's uh, funny having the polar opposites of weather going on. You just said to me that you come off the ski fields and I'm about to go to the beach. It's literally the opposite in opposite ends of the world. And it's the funnest thing that I love to do about podcasting and recording these interviews, getting to meet people from all over the world. Mate, I've been doing the podcasting for about almost five years now. Um, when I kicked off, I uh, the, the pretense of me beginning my podcasting journey was all about wanting to write a book. And I sat down, I was about 150 pages into a book and I realized I didn't want to write a book. And the reason I'd, I, I didn't want to do that is because I felt like that my ideas were just fixed and I was putting these ideas down and, and it's like I was fixing them in time and space forever. But my opinions changed from one hour to the next, like every human on planet earth. And I thought, well, what's a better way of doing that? Maybe I can do this. What's this podcasting thing? What's this all about? And so I began my journey doing that. And, you know, the, the very, the very difficult thing about starting a podcast. So I think maybe sometimes it can be the hardest thing about starting a podcast is what on earth do you call the thing? And over the last couple of years, I've helped more than 40 people launch their own shows. Um, so, you know, in the process of becoming a successful podcaster myself, I've helped other people do the same thing. And before I got to that point in my life, I, I kind of looked at my life and thought, what can I do? And this is what I say to my clients all the time. What can I talk about for a thousand episodes? And the reality is I, you, you've got to talk about something you're deeply passionate about and that you can talk about all day long for hours and hours at a time without getting bored or without running out of ideas. And it really forced me to actually reflect on my life and when I reflect on my life, I look at the way that I approach things. And most people do this, you know, in one version or another, but I tend to actually overcommit to things. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to commit to it and I'm going to 
go all in on it. Yeah. And I look at what I've done in my life in the military as an entrepreneur, as a parent, as a partner, and I'm really, really committed to following through and seeing the success that I've always wanted in the things that I'm aiming at. So I think it's really important that you've got goals in your life and you've got targets that you can aim at. And I've always been somebody who's definitely done that. But when I've decided to commit to those goals, I really go all in on it. And that was sort of the the genesis of my podcast. And it was a real creative outlet. And I never had a creative outlet in my life before because I'm not a musician. Uh, I'm not really a writer. Um, I love music. I love art. I love you know, television and movies like everybody does, but I've never had a creative outlet for myself. And when I discovered podcasting and I discovered, you know, that that idea and that mindset of commitment and success and doing whatever it takes to succeed, I, I really found myself. And it was a bit of a rebirth. I was 40 when it happened. And I kind of, I thought to myself, you know, I, when I was at school, I was that typical STEM male. So I don't know what it's like in Canadian society, but in Australian society at school, boys are pointed at mathematics, science, physics, chemistry, those sorts of things. And I really loved all of those things. I loved those engineering type topics and I loved all of that, you know, that uh, engineering type thinking. But the reality was I was never exposed to anything creative. I never did a music lesson. I never, you know, played the guitar or played the drums or did some acting or some stage, something like that. And it wasn't until I was 40 years old that I discovered that for myself and uh, in the process, I got really good at it, and I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people. I think my count is the Go All In show is about 160, but I've had you know probably half a dozen other shows as well. I think the totality of all the recording that I've done and the interviews that I've done personally is about eight or 900 or something like that. I stopped counting a while ago, but it's a lot of interviews. You get to meet a lot of incredible people, everyone from billionaires to small business owners to uh, everything in between. And, you know, the one common thing that we have in this human experience is when somebody's got a goal and they really commit to that goal and they really have a single-minded focus on that goal, it usually happens much faster than you ever think possible, which is a really cool lesson to share with people. Well, it's very cool to work with people and see them accomplish their goals using uh, the framework. Uh, you you set me up with so many places uh, I want to go. My brain goes uh, to two places. So we're going to park the paratrooper uh, military thing because I know there's some lessons we can learn out of that. But first, uh, this I, I didn't realize this about you, but in your early years of being a younger person, society might have been different back then and we just might not have noticed. There was this sort of this, I don't want to say, because again, I'm, I'm 41 uh, and I wrote a book and I started the podcast about two years ago. So right about where you sort of Hi. had this age 40 <laughs> epiphany. So uh, what I think maybe it is, is back, you know, when your younger self, you're 18, 19, you want to be somebody, you want to, you want to make money, you want to grow something, you want to build something, you want to, you want some status. And the, the way in my head back then it was, maybe this is different for lots of people, I don't know, was make some freaking money. So make some money, figure out how to, you know, then doors open. And maybe now, you know, you're more established, you have a family, we're more sure of ourselves, uh, maybe we have money, and now it's like, well, wait a sec. Maybe it wasn't as glamorous as I thought it was going to be. You know, I had this vision that and I, I remember my old business partner. We had a number, and it was like we used to say, "Man, if we could ever make that much a month," and you know, it, you know, that was ten years ago, 
And, you know, mm-hmm. that, well, that was like 20 years ago, but that was 10 years ago. I hit those numbers and it was like, well, I still get up and my wife is still my wife and uh, <laughs> life's still much the same. So I, I know I give you a lot of verbiage there, but is there something that you could, you see uh, with maybe is society different or are you different? You're 100% right. And you highlight something that's really important that's not spoken about a lot. And I'm glad that you brought that up because it gives me an opportunity to maybe amplify it and put some words around it that you haven't heard before and to share that with your audience as well. Often when you have a goal, you aim at that target and you hit that target with a single-minded focus much sooner than you anticipate. So you, you and your, you and your oppo there had the idea of earning X amount of dollars per month. You hit that target and then you're like, Oh, okay. Now, now what? I had a similar circumstance to you, albeit it played out in slow motion. So my career in the military started when I was 17 and I left when I was 29. So over that period of time, because I, I got out between the Navy and the Army, over that period of time, I achieved every single thing that I wanted to do with my life. And by the time I left at 29 years of age, I was like, now what? And the last posting that I had was at the parachute school. And what do you do at the parachute school? You'd rock up to work and say to the boss, what are we doing today? And he'd look at you and go, what do you think, idiot? Go and get a parachute. We go on skydiving. And you'd go skydiving seven or eight times a day. And, you know, the military has a way of taking the fun out of all that stuff. It's kind of fun for a while, but it's like a bit unfun at the same time as well. But by the time I left, I had this incredible job and this incredible experience for the last couple of years of my career but then I'd also achieved everything I wanted to achieve. I'd traveled, I'd been in operations, I'd kicked indoors, I'd done everything that I'd wanted to do. So then I was sort of left as a almost like a, a, a clean skin. Like I, I left, I did everything I wanted to do, I'd grown out of like running around with a gun and kicking in a door, now what? All right, and, and I had to advance to the next part of my career. And to your point, you know, am I different or is the world different? The world was very similar very, very, very similar all the way up until 2019 in December. And I believe that not a lot had changed all the way up until then. But in the last three years, in the last, you know, 2019, 20, 21 and 22, the the end of 2019, it's changed radically. Social media has changed radically. The Chinese Communist Party have infiltrated every single one of our telephones. The Russian disinformation has infiltrated every single one of our brains in politics, it doesn't matter what country you're in the world, and there's all sorts of different ideologies floating around which have never been proven to work. We had a system on planet Earth previously all the way up to 2020 that was working incredibly well. Life was prosperous. You could be whoever you wanted to be. You could make as much money as you wanted to do. There was incredible opportunities in the world. But I think in the last three years, that's all changed. And unless you've positioned yourself correctly for what's coming down the pike at us in the next couple of years, I think you're going to find it's going to be very, very different again in the next three to five years as we move forward. The world has definitely changed. I've changed as an individual as well as we all do. We grow and we develop and we have different ideas and different thoughts and feelings about the way the world works and how you interact with it and where you belong in it. But the reality is the world has shifted fundamentally at the same time as well. So you really got to shift and move to adapt. And, you know, in the military, when you're lying on your guts and you're you're loading your rifle and and you're shooting and you're just starting, you're shooting at a target, the first thing that you you do is what's called a two-round bolt adjust. And you want to make sure that those two rounds are going exactly where you're pointing that rifle. 
And if you've never fired that rifle before, you do a thing called a zero. So you're zeroing the rifle to get in the scope to match up to where the actual rounds are going. And I'm really careful about all of the radical changes that we're seeing in the world. And I, you know, maybe a little bit brainwashed from the military and from the army, but I regularly do a two-round bolt adjust. And what that is, is I kind of, I stop yeah, and I stand back from what I'm doing going, hey, how is this affecting me? And then if I need to readjust my zero, you know, you would have seen it in, a, in an army movie before where he's turning the dial and the scope on the top and then on the side as well. He, what he's doing is he's getting the, the little cross-references into the right places. And, you know, you've got to stand back and do that two-round bolt adjust. Stop what you're doing, have a look, how is this affecting me, and then fix your zero and then get yourself moving back towards your targets and keep moving forward. The world has changed a lot in the last couple of years, and unless you are flexible enough to manoeuvre yourself and your business within the confines that are narrowing ever more every single day in all of our societies, you're going to find yourself in a lot of trouble and dependent on the government, and no one wants to be dependent on the government. You'd be really careful of that. What would you say? Uh, so again, the, oh man, I'm so excited about this. So we are wading into uncharted territory uh, for the conversation. So again, some people, if you're political and don't like that stuff, maybe step out. But if you like hearing sort of how politics affects your mindset, the one thing that that we found in coaching clients and working with financial planning clients through the pandemic was uh, there was a lot of people. Um, I'll say intaking and processing a lot of things that, and, and then letting those things impact their their life. So that you know, you start seeing negative sort of mindset set in on things that they were pretty positive about before. But you know, going kayaking with their friend, you know, whether stuff's happening or not, that still can happen if you organize it. But once your head starts to like get swirling and you start being focused on other things, you can get distracted. So. How do you how do you balance how much you take in? Because being military background, and again, I do lots of life insurance work, so managing risk and analyzing risk is something that you are deeply uh, well versed in. It's your life, so I don't know anyone else who could talk to this talk. But managing risk in paying attention to what's going on in the world and living your best life now. How, how do you how do you balance that? Well, time is a constructive. Time is a construct of humans. That's that's the way I answer that question. Time is a construct. Think about it. Where are you right now? When we're talking right now, we're in the present. The internet. Well, we're in the we're in the ether, right? In the magic ether, somewhere floating, right? But the reality is, we're in the present. Whatever time it is there for you now, it's the same time here. We're just on the other side of planet Earth, and technology allows us to connect. But if I sit here for a moment and I think about all of the bad things that have happened overnight in Ukraine, you know, the artillery strikes and all of the death and destruction and the chaos of the world, that can actually drag me, drag my energy all the way down really quickly. And if I sit in that energy and I stay in that energy, it can be really, really bad. But the reality is all of that stuff has already happened, but I'm thinking about it in the present. But then if I let that stuff that happened already affect me into my future, when I get to that point in the future and that becomes my present, that drags my energy down as well. Yeah, so you've got to be careful that you're not you're – not, I don't believe that you're driven by your past because the past has already happened. You can't change it. But I also don't believe that you're propelled to your future. I think that you're kind of drawn 
to the future. But the future that you've got for yourself is created by the mindset that you have in the present. And it's all about your state of being and your state of mind and that the energy that you're feeling inside of yourself when you're watching that negative news story or you're watching that funny cat video or that stand-up comedian that's giving you a little bit of respite from the craziness of the day will determine what your future will be. So there's no such thing. I don't believe there's any such thing as happiness. There's the, there's the centralized part of where you are. Happiness is a little bit right of the middle and sadness is a little bit left of middle. But most of the time, we're not happy or sad. We just are. You've got to be careful of looking for happiness or looking for something that's going to make you feel better, meaning a better investment, making more money, better business decisions. Those things are not going to make you feel better. Those things are the outcome of the work that you need to do, and you're doing that work because you're looking for a result in your life. And it's very, very difficult to manage those things and to divide those two things apart from the result that you're getting and the feeling that you get and the feeling that you're getting as you're actually trying to get those results to happen for yourself. I think it's really important that people be a little bit more mindful of the energy that they're receiving from all of the inputs that we're getting from social media, from news, from politics, from your friends, from your family and all of those things. And then that energy is taken on board. Okay, cool. And, and instead of putting that energy back out, just step aside and let that go past you and let it go, let it flow through you on the other side of it. And don't let that impact what's going on in your life. It, yeah, sure. It's important. It's important to keep one eye on, on the news. It's important to keep one eye on social media. It's important to stay connected to your friends and your family, but don't let that determine how you live your life. And for some reason, we've all, forgotten in the last couple of years, you think that with all of the lockdowns and all of the craziness that we experienced, that we would be more interconnected than we ever were. And we are in some ways, but people seem to be more lonely than ever before, despite the fact that they can talk to somebody in Canada on the other side of planet Earth, like with a snap of the fingers. It's it's strange things. So I would say that you've really got to concentrate on your own personal energy and understanding how the things around you are affecting you and making sure you're not putting out that negativity. And if you're only putting out those positive vibes and good thoughts and good things that are out there, you know, and it's the power of thinking positive, it's cliche and a bit cheesy and corny, but it's true. It works. I've only, when I think about the people in my life, I, I feel like happy. Like I, I feel like I, I get to go see my business partner, I get to go see my mum, my brother, you know, my friends and the people that are around me. They're really ha- – these people have happy dispositions. They're not negative. You know, they've got some negative opinions and we disagree about certain things, but it's not a – it's not really a big deal. It doesn't impact on my relationships with them and it certainly doesn't impact on the way that I live my life. And I feel like my life is progressing in the right direction and things are feeling really good and they're constantly on the upward gradient. Some days they're more upward than others, and but as a whole, they're kind of progressing forward nicely. It's, it's a good way to live. It's a good way to feel. It's it's a it's a it's remarkable. I guess maybe it's my stereotype of when you come out of the military, you kind of can be jaded. And uh, but I think let's go to military story now. Let's get to let's get to you know through those. That was uh, from seventeen to twenty nine. You said twelve yeah. years uh, there. So from start to finish, that's a pretty good career. Uh, and from, you know, adjusting your minutes of angle on the first, you know, couple of shots to the end, is there any stories in there of, um, you know, I'm just thinking, 
just general leadership stories where, you know, the, you know, things weren't going, you know, the way they were supposed to, and you guys emerged uh, victorious, whatever that means. Because I think for a lot of people, they are, they know this stuff we just talked about. They know that they shouldn't watch the news. They know they shouldn't watch the stock market every day, but <laughs> they just can't. They go service. They say to me, uh, I know, I know, I know I'm not supposed to. And, and they'll, they'll almost after a while, you know, get to the point where like, yeah, no, I haven't really watched that much because they know that I'm going to, what I'm going to say to them. And I'll say, Hey, you know, you're, you know, the investments that we do are, are more long term, buy and hold, you know, don't look at them for weeks. It's okay. It's not going to zero, you know, knock on wood, but we're talking about big things. So for people, you know, in your career, you have a story of like, it didn't look good. You couldn't get, you couldn't get the groove on. And all of a sudden you guys emerged victorious. Get, like put us, if you can, without breaching confidentiality, put us in like in your boots. Well, I, I don't really have any war stories. I've only really got funny stories and okay, funny, well, a lot of, so much funny, so much funny stuff happens to you in the military, which is ne- never really spoken about very much on a podcast. So, you know, I'm not going to tell you a story about some gunfight and we nearly died and then we yeah, made yeah. it through some bullshit like that. It's none of that. So well, when I was a young guy in the Navy, one of the, uh, the jobs that I had, uh, so I was a combat systems operator. So I operate radar, sonar, electronic warfare gear. So that's my day job. But the other side job that I had on the ship was as a ship's diver. So the ship's diver is required to, when the ship comes alongside, we go and, we go and put the grates on the ship so it doesn't like suck in all of like plastic bags and all sorts of things. And you do all sorts of work under the water. You know, you might have to um, do, do a probe on the actual prop to make sure uh, the engineering part of it's all working. So um, it's a, it's That's an okay thing. job. That ports yeah, are so messy with bottles that it sucks into the impellers and stuff. Oh man, animals, dead stuff, like horrendous. Oh. Like I could tell you some stories there, but you know it's not <laughs> uh, it's not not very pleasant. But uh, you know you're looking for a lesson there, so I'll, I'll share this lesson. So one of the one of the jobs of a ship's diver is if there's ever a man overboard, a warship can recover a man or woman overboard one of three ways: either with a helicopter which is the most complicated way because you've got to pull the helicopter out and unfold the motor blades and take off and go and do it, right? So that's typically used if someone's fallen overboard and we haven't known about it for some time. The next way is with a boat. That's the most common way that we do it. So, the, you know, because it's pretty quick to get the boat in the water, just kind of put it the winch there and get in the water. And the third way is with the swimmer, yeah? So if someone's fallen in the water and they realise straight away, so the ship is steaming along, in a, in a particular direction, the lookout says, man overboard, rings the alarm. Your ship just does a big 360-degree turn, and it probably takes, you know, half a kilometre to turn around, you know, because the warship's moving along, steaming along, and it pulls up alongside and points the, the front of the ship or the bow of the ship into the swell, and it just rides the swell there back and forth. So it was uh, the, the middle of the night. We're on the exercise, and I've been in almost all of the oceans on planet Earth, and the biggest oceans are just out here where I live, just between Australia and New Zealand in wintertime. And we have a thing called the Southern Antarctic Groundswell. So you have these southerly swells that come in between Australia and New Zealand, and you have these massive waves, man. I've been in Category 5 cyclones before. They're the biggest cyclones you can have. And the waves out here off the East Australian exercise area are bigger than Category 5 cyclones. And I, I hear, I was lying in my bed and I heard, man overboard, man overboard. And it's like the exercise, right? And I was like, okay, waiting, waiting for, you know, like recovery with the helicopter or the boat. And they said, recovery with a swimmer. I'm like, man, that's me. Really? 
So I, I run down to the back of the ship, get my wetsuit, grab my fins, grab my mask, get back, and the ship is stopped in the water, right? And when, it, when a ship stops in the water in the open ocean, the thing's like pounding, man, pounding just with the swells. And the swells must have been probably 14, 15 metres, and the ship stopped, and it's like virtually like rolling sideways and up and down. So I get right to the to the forecastle of the ship, and there's just a dummy in the water, right? So you can see the dummy, and uh, there's a, a bunch of people. There's about seven or eight people on the forecastle there. So they put like a helicopter strop around your waist, as if you're going to be winched into a helicopter. I wear that around my waist, and I jump into the water with my mask into the water, and then I lie on my back, and I'm looking up at the guys above me, and they're pointing left and right. And you're just swimming on your back until, oh, I hit my head on the dummy. There's the dummy. And I unclip the strop, put the other strop around the dummy, turn around, and I give them a, put my hand up, give them a thumbs up, and then they pull you in. But as they're pulling me back into the, uh, the ship, and bear in mind, this is nighttime at winter in 14 or 15 meter swells, or the biggest, biggest swells, you know, I've ever been in. And I think that's what they're testing, right? That's the whole point of the exercise. But as the, as the, uh, the dummy gets pulled up the side of the ship, um, they, they pull the dummy up. It's all good. But as the, as the ship goes up in the swell, all of the water gets sucked in to under the side of the ship. And I'm thinking, I can feel myself being drawn in like the, the world's strongest rip. I'm drawn in. And as the ship, as the swell comes down and the ship comes back down, it like pushes you back out and it like spits you back out. And, and they're holding onto me with this line. And I'm thinking, if this line goes, like, how are they going to, get me out of here. Well, they're going to have to come, put, that's a real man overboard, right? They're going to have to put the boat in the water or the helicopter and they're going to come, come get me. So I wasn't really worried. But when you, I don't know if you've ever been near a warship, but you look up at a warship, they're pretty tall. But as the thing's coming out of the water, riding on a 15-metre wave, and I can see the sonar dome on the bottom of the warship, I'm looking going, wow, man, that's that's like high, and I can feel myself getting sucked into it, and then it comes down and goes, gets spat out by this giant wave. Anyway, after about 20 minutes of this, I'm like, ready, go. Just, just and they, pull, they eventually pull me up. And I, I got up and I, I looked up at the captain and I thought, you idiot, what did you make me do that for? And he kind of looked at me and goes, good job, well done. Went inside the bridge and started up the ship and off we went on our exercise. And, and I looked at everybody there and I thought to myself, you know, in the military, you don't do anything by yourself ever. And it's a metaphor for life. You don't do anything by yourself ever. And if you think that you could jump off the side of a warship at nighttime to try and save somebody in a 15-metre swell without being tethered to a rope and having 10 other guys holding on to you, you're wrong. And it's a metaphor for life. If you think that you can dive into business and if you think that you can do everything by yourself, that you can write the content, you can build the website, you can shoot the video, you can record the audio, and then you can do all the advertising, all the marketing, and you can manage the money and you can actually work out the balance sheet and work out the profit and loss and then invest the money that you've you can't do that stuff by yourself. And it's a lesson that stuck with me forever. Whenever I feel overwhelmed in my business and I feel like there's too much coming at me, I always remember those 10 guys that were pulling on the rope. And all I need is just some more people behind me helping me pull on that rope. Things will go a little bit faster. If I need another developer or I need another advertising guru or somebody to write me some copy, I can just go to Upwork and all of the world's knowledge is right there at my fingertips. There's kind of no excuse. But in small business and in life in general, we have this myopic view thinking that we know the answers to everything and we can solve all of these problems. But the reality is you don't have to. And you know what? It's just way more fun when you do it with other people. But that's a that's a lesson that stuck with me. And it's not really a leadership lesson, but it's a reminder that 
you don't have to go it alone and nobody in the military does anything by themselves ever. You know, it's a fallacy that Jason Bourne runs around with a gun by himself trying to catch bad guys. It's bullshit. There's 25 people in an ops centre behind him telling him where to go, what to do and, you know, where did he get the weapons? Where did he get his boots from? You know, there's a logistics guy behind him. So, you know, for every... For every one infantry soldier, and this doesn't matter what army you're in, for every one infantry soldier on the front line, there's 10 to 15 people in the rear behind them. So nothing happens in isolation in the military. But for some reason in life, we we feel like that we're isolated. We have to do everything, but you don't. So remember that lesson, and I share that story of the ship going up and down to, as a visual there to help you to, to remind you of it. It's very fitting to, to surround yourself. We're the sum influence of the five closest people around us. And totally. so, you know... You know, your ex-spouse, your, your new spouse, your co-workers, your boss, you know, whatever. It's like you want to change your direction, you might have to change some of those influences. And again, you know, substance and all that stuff can be part of it as well. But uh, in, oh, in in that story of, of the military and your background, is there is there like anything else that pops out from the standpoint of like, um, um, thinking like your colonel or your captain or whoever that they they shared a message down again. I just watched that thing with my video with you with my kids, and it was it's Colonel somebody, and his message is make your bed. Have you seen that guy? Yeah, 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 yeah. Admiral <laughs> William McRaven. Yeah, that guy. So, is there any leaders in your past that have given you tools that you still use today that are some of the, your go to moves or any? comments or you know make the bed all that kind of stuff you know it there's a it's a great question it's it's probably a little bit more practical and and again i'll share some some funny stories with you if you like um it's not so much about the leadership but it's more about the attitude and the mindset when you play for your country you you don't you don't really notice these things because all of this stuff happens gradually to you but anybody that's in the military plays for their country you're playing first grade if you're if you're in the united states marine corps or you're in the canadian army or in the australian army you're playing for your country you're you're like you know if even if you're the stores guy out the back folding blankets you're still playing for your country and you you've got to bring your a game and the thing that I took away from the military is, you know, I did so many courses. You do hundreds and hundreds of courses. It feels like it's probably, I probably did 50 courses, but it feels like hundreds, right? It feels like you're perpetually <laughs> on a course learning about something. So one of the really great things that you get from the military is learning how to learn. So you learn how to assimilate knowledge and information quickly. So I'm always really fast to pick up new skills. But once you've picked up those new skills, there's always a really high expectation that you're actually able to deliver which means you have to bring your A game. And I think we, we, we live in a bit of an over-civilized society in some ways. And I don't mean that in a negative thing. I just say that as an observation. Like, I don't really have to think about where I've got to get my food from because the fridge is full of food there from Christmas. You know, I don't have to go to the shops for the next week because it's a week worth of groceries sitting there. You know, if I'm thirsty, I don't have to think about it. There's a tap right there. But like, I don't have to think about very much. Life is easy. You know, it's the Christmas break. Should I be working? Eh, well, you know, no one else is. But I, before I was here, I've been sitting on my computer since, you know, for the last three hours working. And after I finish here with you, I'm going to work for another four hours or go to the beach first, have a swim, and then work for another four hours of Savo and then go and record another podcast later today. And everybody else is on holidays. You know, the, the work ethic that I developed from the military has been 
uh, culmination and a product of all of the leadership that I've ever encountered, really, because the people that are in charge, the officers that are in charge, the NCOs that are in charge, and then your own personal leadership and your own personal responsibilities forces you to bring your A game. You know you've got to bring your A game, but it's a rare person, a rare person, military or not, that can bring their A game consistently. And if you could be mindful enough to think about when you turn up to work at nine o'clock on a Monday morning after your Christmas holidays, whether it's your work, your job, or somebody else's business or your own business or whatever it might be, whenever you turn up that you go, okay, I'm going to do this to the very best of my ability, no matter what. And my daughter, so I'll close out this comment and these thoughts with this. My daughter has left school. She hates school. Just School just wasn't for her. So she's going to, to TAFE next year, which gives her some more qualifications. So she'll get a diploma. She'll do a whole bunch of other things. But I've said to her that there's only two settings for you. If you, if you don't want to go to school anymore, it's either work or sleep. Your choice. You, you pick. And, you know, imagine if I was your old man. It's like, I'm, I'm pretty hard on her like that. And I say it to her like that. It's work or it's sleep. They're your two choices. And she's gone away and got a couple of jobs. And, you know, she's only 16 years old, so she's not very old. So she's working in a hamburger shop. She's working in a restaurant and she works in an ice cream shop. So she's got three jobs, right? So she's, working quite a quite a few shifts and she's making some money and doing okay for herself and I'm trying to breathe that work ethic into her. And I, I said to her, when you go to work and if you're flipping burgers or you're, you know, you're putting salad on buns or you're doing that, I, what I want you to do, yeah, what I want you to do is I want you to look at the people around you. Yeah? I want you to pay attention to the people around you because they're going to be sad, sorry, complaining, whinging, negative about everything. And I want you to make burgers to the best of your ability. I want you to do the very best job you can every time you go there. And it's not to win brownie points with the boss. It's not to be a better employee or be the employee of the month, but it's to actually build and breed that ethic inside of you that when you do something, you do it properly and you bring your A game every single time. Whether you're flipping a burger, you're changing a tire on a car, or you're dealing with somebody's financial planning, you bring your A game every every single time, no matter what. Because if you go there and complain about that job or you complain about your business or you complain about those customers, you'll eventually leave that job, you'll go somewhere else, and guess what? You'll complain about that job, you'll complain about that boss and those customers and all that bullshit that goes there. So in order to stop yourself from doing that, what you need to do is to bring your A-game every single time and be the best burger flipper you could possibly be, be the best ice cream scooper you could be, be the best table runner you could possibly be. And I've seen a complete fundamental shift in her hating school, being free from school now, and going to work and coming home with a smile on her face. I pick her up late at night sometimes because she hasn't got a license yet, but just loving life. And, you know, and, and all of that comes from my brainwashing, which is what it is, in the military of being as professional as you can, as skillful as you can, and bringing your A game every single time you have to. But it's a rare person that can actually do that. And I share that to remind the audience that you can do it. Anyone can do it. You've done it before. Just do it yeah. more often. Uh, I don't know, listener, if uh, you're thinking what I'm thinking, but my brain instantly goes to concentration. So in this day and age, <laughs> maximizing our concentration, I think is, it's unspoken about. I think it's maybe unstudied. Maybe it is studied. I just haven't looked into it. But I, I, this is almost sharing some of my personal baggage that right now, you used to be able to dive deeper into things when your business was smaller. When your business was smaller, you could have all this time to be creative and 
mess up stuff, try it again. Now, you, you know, you get a successful business, you got staff, you got demands, they're pulling, you know, different things are pulling at you. And, and it, there's exciting things that are pulling at you too, but you can't maybe put the, as much time as you wanted. So you could either, uh, you know, farm it out to Fiverr and Upwork and all these things and try and, but some of that work can be, some of it's good, but the, you know, if it's really, you've got a vision, you need to spend enough time and concentrate long enough to get the wheels in motion to hand that off to, to be built. But in the military, did they have any sort of training or exercises on concentration? I'm envisioning like in, in exercises or whatever, it's like there's like stuff happening all over and how you concentrate and not get lost in drifting thoughts. So you know, you're drifting thoughts and you're not paying attention you get shot. So, you know, is, is there any exercise they did where it was like, and I don't want to take any words in your mouth, I'm assuming, but it's like, exercises, training, a course, one of those 50 courses, was it on concentration or any comments on that? It's not so much that they train you. What you do on a day-to-day basis is not much different, <laughs> excuse me, it's not much different to any other job. So there's so many office jobs you have in the military, right? But if you make a mistake in that office job, for the infantry guy on the front line like me, it might cost me my life because you haven't moved enough water forward, you haven't moved enough ammunition forward, you haven't moved enough food forward, and it, and it might impact on the operation. So it's, it's not so much that the military teaches you how to operate better. The consequences of you operating incorrectly are much steeper, yeah, because people's lives are at risk. So one of the, one of the things that I learned in the military to focus my mind and to eliminate distraction so it's less about concentration and more about removing distraction. You know yourself when you sit down at nine o'clock in the morning or wherever you start work, you, you, you begin your day, you're okay, cool. I don't, I don't know about you or the, the people listening or watching this is I, I try and block out, I time block my day. I block, I look at, I only look at my email for 15 minutes in the morning if I don't get past it all, bad luck. And then I look at it at 15 minutes at the end of the day. And then the first half of my day is spent in prioritizing exactly what matters to me. And if I've got a series of appointments throughout my day, whether they're Zoom or physical or something like that, what I'll do is I'll block my calendar out in 15-minute increments to make sure I get those things done. And I'll do that before I start the day. So, so you know, if I, if I kick off at 9 o'clock, I've blocked out my calendar at 8.30 in the morning, look at my email for 15 minutes. And if I've got a bunch of meetings, then I'll time box those uh, activities that I need to do. So prioritizing and executing what's going on. In the military, they have it has a the, the job that you do has a way of forcing you to be front side focused or present mind focused because you can't be distracted when you're looking down the sights of a machine gun at a target or you're on a live fire exercise on a live fire range and your mates to the left and the right of you and you're running forward, run down, call, observe, aim, fire, and then your mate gets up, bounds forward in front of you, he's in your two o'clock position, I can't shoot there. So what the military does is it forces you to focus in the here and now. And one of the things that I, I love the most about my final posting at the uh, at the parachute school was, so you, you go skydiving a lot, right? And, and generally, as a rule of thumb, a, a knuckle dragon, door kicker like me is a pretend student for someone wanting to be an instructor. So we be the students for the instructors, so they get their instructor rating so then they can take new students. So you do a lot of fundamental stuff, a lot of basics stuff. 
which makes you really, really good at skydiving because you're doing the same thing over and over again and you're not really doing any advanced things. But you get to the to, to a point where you get a little bit desensitized to what's going on. And what it does is, is it allows you to get your heart rate under control. And when you get your heart rate under control, so you and I are sitting here, resting heart rate, 50, 60 beats per minute, and I'm okay. It's the strangest feeling in the world to have your heart rate completely under control, your breath under control, but the adrenaline surging through your body from the top of your kidneys, the physiology that you have there. Usually when you have like a bit of an adrenaline spike in your blood or something's happening, it's a fight or flight thing, right? Or you might be at the top of the mountain when you're about to drop in on your snowboard and you're like, whoa, man, and your breathing is a little bit rapid, it's elevated, it's cold, your senses are heightened, and all of your attention is focused on that one thing that you're actually doing. And you're not really even thinking about what it is that you're doing because years of experience of skiing and snowboarding for you allows you to do that. I wouldn't really think very much about skydiving. I'd go through my emergency drills, you know, people throw a punch, whatever, you know, reserves if something goes wrong. But my heart rate would be completely under control, but I could feel the adrenaline just coursing through my body because my brain knows it's fight or flight. But it's a strange thing. It's the, it's the paradox of both of those things. And I've taken that lesson in my life. And I've taken that and used that as a lesson that when I sit down at my desk and I, and I finished, like I'm pretty disciplined with the way that I operate. Because if you're not disciplined in the way that you operate, you just kind of, life just happens to you. And you're just reactive to everything all the time. Ah, the phone ring. No, I just pick up the phone. I talk to that guy for 20 minutes or I've got to take that, that went away. And then I, I got back into it. And then I, I began working for 10 minutes. Then I got a text message. I stopped and looked at that. And scientific studies have shown that for every distraction that you have, it will take you 20 minutes to get back to where you were. So if at quarter past nine in the morning, I finish with my email and I begin the activity that I need to do, whatever that might be, if I continue that activity to 9.30, so in a 15-minute time box like that, and, and the phone rings, if I pick up that call, it'll take me 20 minutes to get back to the 9.15 date of mind. And that's why people's productivity comes all the way down. So I take the skydiving analogies and the shooting analogies and all the things, the totalities of the experiences that I've learned in my life to try and get your breathing under control, keep that adrenaline under control, keep that distraction at bay and to keep those things going because you have to learn, you know, to, to coin that Jocko Willett phrase he uses all the time. He says you have to prioritise and execute. So pick the things that are, are the most urgent for you in your day and go through your laundry list of to-do items like that to maintain your productivity and do it without distraction because if you can do it without distraction, you will be so much more productive. And if you can maintain the discipline of maintaining the time boxes inside of your calendar as well, you actually find yourself feeling really good about it as well because morning tea or rock around for a cup of tea or coffee or just a little break that you need to have, lunch will rock around really quickly as well. You'll feel good. You'll feel productive. So how can I be more productive? Manage your time, manage your mindset, manage your distractions, keep your breath and your heart rate under control. And if you're doing something that requires surges of adrenaline or something like that, for some reason, get that under control as well. So just to close off on that, so we're, we're in the back of the, uh, what is it, a C-130 gunship or something massive? Is that uh, <laughs> what people jump out of? Or that's the movies? That's what I'm envisioning. All, all sorts of different airplanes, yeah. So the and door drops down. Why sometimes when the military are running out of the back of the plane is the, the cable attached and the parachute pulls like right away when they are out. And why sometimes do they free fall just out the back? So inserting troops via airborne operations is the most complicated thing you could possibly do in the military. 
there's actually nothing more complicated than airborne operations. So what, what they typically airborne soldiers are, uh, their primary goal is to take an enemy airfield. So what we do is we fly over an enemy airfield at a thousand feet and we'll try and get two battalions on the ground within like five minutes. So you get like 500,000 men on the ground and then you can assault the airfield and, and take the airfield. So you have a static line, which is what you're describing, how it's connected to the aircraft. So you jump out of the aeroplane and then uh, the static line pulls the parachute out of the pack that you're wearing and you don't even have to really even think about it. But you can't fly that parachute either. There's no toggles on those parachutes. There is sort of, you can kind of pull on the rises a little bit and you hit the ground pretty hard, man. It's like jumping off a two-story building and... Yeah, when when I joined when I joined the army, I was 184 centimeters, and when I left, I was 181 centimeters. Wow! So, yeah, so I kind of lost three centimeters, and not because of osteoporosis or I got terrible <laughs> genetics or something, but from crumping in, otherwise known as a splat cat. That's what they call oh. them in the Australian army, splat cats. So, and the the other way to insert paratroopers, of course, is by free falling them in, which um, typically can happen from anywhere from above two, well, not really, probably above 4,000 feet to anywhere to 30,000 feet, depending on what the um, what the target is, what you're trying to do. You can be um, jumped out at 25,000 feet on oxygen, open your parachute straight away and fly 50 or 60 miles to a target. Um, so there's all sorts of different ways to insert troops. But, man, so many things can go wrong. And it's so unbelievably dangerous. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the danger factor is just it kind of nick. It mitigates and negates actually doing it. Although real world operations have happened in the last couple of years in Afghanistan and Iraq, lots of Americans jumped in. I'm not sure if any Canadians did. Um, and, and I know that the Russians tried to jump paratroopers, two battalions of paratroopers into Hostomel Airport, and they got their asses completely kicked. Um, it didn't uh, work. Uh, and for one reason or another, they're using World War II tactics to try and make it happen, and it, and it didn't work. And if you rewind the clock all the way back to World War II when Hitler used uh, the false screamer, the uh, German paratroopers to jump into Crete. He said after that, he, they would never ever use paratroopers ever again. Um, and well, so it kind of feel developed like a sitting duck. I think you're kind of oh, floating man. down, and if they if they notice you, you don't got much place to go. <laughs> back in the back in the day in World War Two, they they didn't have the rises that came up from your shoulders. So if you think of a parachute, it doesn't matter what sort of comes up from your shoulders, right? You get your hands up on the rises there. Back in the day in World War Two days, it came out from the small of your neck. So out of, out of your back there. So and and they landed like a cat. They did this cat landing. So imagine jumping off a two-story building, hands and feet first, like like a cat, oh, like on Jesus. all fours. So they break arms, break shoulders, break legs, break backs, all sorts of stuff. And most of the troops that jumped out in that operation in Greece, they most of them were broken and they were combat ineffective, and that's why they lost. Well, thanks uh, for that. Was a sidebar, and, and I got one other sidebar question. So, when you were in the military, did were you able? Because I do life, lots of life insurance, and so managing yeah. risk and trying to help the underwriters understand who these people are that we're trying to help get the policies for. Were you able to get life insurance in during that time? When when we went to East Timor in 1999, it was the biggest operation since the Vietnam War for the Australian Army, and. I can remember uh, the the boss coming out and saying, hey, if you want to get an insurance policy, here's where it is. If you kill it in operations, uh, this is what happens for your family. This is how it all works and stuff. And 
people were reading through the policies, you know, soldiers don't get paid much money. They're like, I can't afford that. I can't afford If I get my arm blown off, I could have that. I could have yeah. that one. <laughs> so it, it was, I was just, I just like, whatever, man. If, you know, I'm not, that's going to happen to that guy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's that 28 or 25. That's right. That's right. Well, then you get a little older and you start seeing a few people around you. Well, Robert, I uh, I had a lot of fun with this podcast, and I'm sure we could do another one. But where uh, where can people find you? And then I have one final question for you. Yeah, sure. The best place to find me is on YouTube. If you just head over to Rob Bruss Official on YouTube, or you can find me over on Instagram at rob.bruss77. So I'd love a connection. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your comments and see how you're going with your time management. If you're able to time box your calendar, let me know that. If you need to add with that, I'm happy to help you as well. I'm happy to have a chat too. Yeah, listener, uh, I did check out Rob's uh, YouTube. It's got a great following, lots of uh, interesting topics there. So, Rob, final question, what is your ultimate picture of wealth? My ultimate picture of wealth is recurring income that never stops and never goes away where I don't have to swap my time for money, and it's something that I work towards every single day on a bunch of different projects. I've got several dreams of recurring income coming at me already, but I've also got lots more in the pipeline, and I'm looking to grow that. You know, the ultimate picture of wealth for me is somewhere in the vicinity of about 200 grand a month in recurring income uh, where I've done the work once and I'll get paid in perpetuity for that using online tools, online systems. So that's what I'm working towards and lots of great things happening in my world and I love that. I love it. You have uh, you were the first person to actually be open about a number and just say it and uh, recurring revenue. Love it. Thank you very much uh, for being on the show today, Rob. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate the show, share with a friend, or use your new knowledge in your next conversation. If during the show something gave you a pang of inspiration, motivation, or sense of uncertainty, act on it now. Get the clarity you're looking for. Find the permission you seek. Go to servicewealth.com to discover how others are learning how to take Fridays off, or buying a recreation property, or spending more money. If you're an organizer of an event where you believe my philosophy on finance and lifestyle design would be applicable, Go to servicewealth.com and book me as a speaker at your next event. If you want a copy of our new book coming out soon, send me a message on Instagram or Facebook and we will be sure to get you a first copy.